Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 30, as in 3-0. Very exciting. I think I was probably this excited for my 30th birthday as the 30th episode of Jen and Millie. Um, we're a Gen Xer, that'd be me, and a millennial, that would be, be Tess. Um, share the strength-based perspective through which we view the world. We are your hosts, Allison and Tess. Talking is really hard for me today, so I'm apologize in advance. We also want to, to be really upfront. Um, we this is, I think, our third like official take of this. I am still learning. I am very much in the learning process, and I think I've realized I'm be- I'm just beating myself up because the first take that we had was awesome. We had such a good conversation. I was so excited about sharing it with people. And when I could not adjust it correctly, when the microphone wasn't picking us up well, I was really beating myself up about it. And I was like, gosh, why was I so upset with myself? Because I didn't want to waste your time. I didn't want to waste my time. There were so many things, but when I drilled down to it, I want to get to a level of mastery. My learner wants to get to mastery. And I naturally, in the past, have always been able to get there quickly. Where's Maximizer for you? Maximizer's 22 for me. Hmm. 23 for me. Lou is 22. So I do want to, to strength spot. I did see your learner hurting. And this the other thing I want to make sure that you know, there is no conversation that you and I have that has ever wasted time. Correct. You are never wasting my time. When we have a conversation, I am learning. I am walking away with a higher level of engagement. We may have taken three takes at this, <laughs> but I'm still as energized about it mm-hmm. as I was the first time. Now, if I came in here and said, oh, I need a coffee and this is exhausting, um, <laughs> not that I ever say that to anybody, but if you would ever note me saying something like that, I did not mean it that way. Um, I feel energized about talking about it because mm-hmm. one of the reasons we wanted to do this today is because we just experienced some high-level engagement in a community. And as we were driving home, we did not want to waste any time, which sometimes we do. Oh, yes. Um, (laughs) When we don't get to this right away, we waste time by not capturing the moment. So I don't care if this takes us 25 takes. (laughs) I want to capture our energy about it so that we don't forget these things. Um, So we're going to take a little bit of a shift today and talk about our experience in a community. One of the things I wish we would have done, and I wish I was better at, this is where my learner kind of steps up and gets frustrated with my age and inability, Mm -hmm. that I don't know how to run a camera better. And if I did, we'd record some of these moments and then we'd have really incredible podcasts because we'd be able to cut to the clip. Mm -hmm. And I know that to do that would take a lot of effort and energy and it would cause a lot of frustration for me. So I will readily admit that sometimes when there are things that I'm not good at, Mm -hmm. I know I won't reach a level of mastery. I kind of step back Mm -hmm. and say, okay, maybe I should go back to the way I was doing it before. Mm -hmm. And you may have noticed that about me. 100%. So um, I would love for us to start in that strength spotting with the way that our trips to Ainsworth began. And I mentioned earlier, and I'll mention it again and again and again, I am very grateful for the grace that you extend. So you probably now know that if things are not going well, I will revert back to the Mm -hmm. previous. And you have allowed me to do that sometimes. It may frustrate you. I'm sure it does. (laughs) But you allow me to do that until I get to a level of comfort. Mm -hmm. So we had some pretty significant takeaways in the day and a half of strengths training that we did in Ainsworth. Mm -hmm. And I think a big component were where we could improve. 
Yeah. Um, we both talked about, we need to really change this PowerPoint up. Yeah. And I think when I said that to you, I said, wow, we need to really change some things in this PowerPoint. There, there was this flooded look of relief, <laughs> relief on my face oh. because of the pixelated logo that's been driving me nuts for the past three years. <laughs> she finally opened the gates to change. Um, so I recognized that grace that you extend, um, and I recognized it when we began our trip. When I am getting ready to leave and start planning for a community, my level of anxiety just goes up a notch. And part of the way that I get out of that anxiety is to heal through questions. Sure. And if I can vocalize my questions and get my questions out, I mean, that's literally a phrase I use all the time. Can I just get my questions out? I feel so much better. And I'm at ease and I can be my best self and I can present at my best self when those questions have been allowed. You don't have Mm -hmm. to have all the answers but just to let me kind of flush through them. So I want to strength spot that individualization that you have that allows and extends such grace to others when they're in their mm-hmm. balcony in their basement of their strengths and you just let them be and let them be who they are. That's really a gift that you give a lot of people to us. And then the other mm-hmm. strengths I want to spot are not just context as we've, um, not just context, but context plus strategic. So when we were traveling between Taylor and Bassett, I know that Tess wanted to stop at a historical marker. And I will tell you, I don't believe I've ever stopped at a historical marker what? ever. No. What? No, I don't think I have. I'm sorry. Is that disappointing to you? It is, isn't it? Very. It's okay. She has tears in her eyes. You can't see it. Um, but I would stop for um, a music festival, a concert a record store, I would stop for a party, or if there is a restaurant that has a lot of people around it, I'd probably stop for that just because I wanted to see what was happening. (laughs) I'm not likely to stop for a historical marker, and I think Tess knew that, and because I was driving this time, um, we went right on past it, but I did note it. Hmm. And I noted that you probably wanted to know about it, and so you Googled it. Mm -hmm. And I would love for you to share what you learned. (laughs) So this historical marker, and I, will stop at every scenic lookout. I will stop at okay, those historical markers. I the will, okay. so I think it's, I love how you coupled my context with strategic because I think for me it was a little more adaptability was where I wanted to go with it. But I ended up having to go context strategic because I didn't have the ability to stop because I knew you didn't want to. And even if I was driving, I wouldn't have because I know that's not honoring to you. Not that it's not honoring, but it's not how you would necessarily like to spend the time. If it was just me, 100% I would have stopped. How do you get anywhere? Oh, so there's a level of uh, decision-making about when the best time to stop is. Knowing that we had enough time it would, I would have done that. And knowing that there was a time, if I have a time I need to be somewhere and I'm running ahead, I will stop and do that. If I am not running ahead or I don't have a time, I just wanna get there, that's different. So there is a Danish windmill that's about 10 miles off of I-80 in Elkhorn, Iowa, that I have wanted to stop at. I have driven past probably 20 times now since living in Omaha and commuting back to Minnesota to visit my family, I have never once stopped because I never need to be somewhere when I'm going to Minnesota. And so I just kind of want to get there, right? Because I have family on the other end. If I needed to be in Minnesota for a meeting at 6 p.m. and I knew that I had half an hour, I would stop. Oh, 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 oh. 
So your adaptability doesn't stop. So because you don't have to be somewhere, you mm-hmm. don't stop. But when you do have to be somewhere, you figure time in for it? I, I, I figure time in for it. Isn't that weird? It's probably that very so, contrary. That is so strategic adaptability. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I just want people to know that when Tess is in the car with you and she sees a museum, the words, <laughs> no, the words no. museum pop off the sign and her tone and volume and excitement is as if she won the lottery. It's a little scary. Museum. Museum. I saw one and we didn't get to stop at Ainsworth, but... Well, that, wouldn't stop. <laughs> that it's very helpful to understand that a little bit better. But I did want to note it because when she looked up the historical marker, oh, yes, this is my connectedness. The beginning of our trip. Okay, so this. So let me jump in. Okay, okay. so the historical marker was about this homestead in this small town that was established in this area of Nebraska, in this site, and there are very little remnants of it today. And so it was a little bit of this reenactment, rebuilding of this very early, early settlement in the Nebraska Territory. And so it was about this family who started a ranch there and people started moving around and it was this very nice like home on the prairie kind of story that I read because I thankfully via Google found the exact historical marker so I wasn't too sad we didn't stop. And but then I'm reading this aloud to Allie, and I'm learning as I'm reading. And all of a sudden, I get to a sentence, and it said, and the two brothers were murdered. <laughs> murdered. Like, murdered. I was like, oh, man, for a plot twist. <laughs> and so I just was, like, so surprised because I'm reading this out loud, and I'm learning as I'm reading. So I was just kind of shocked. And you probably heard it my voice, like, oh, oh, they were murdered. <laughs> And then on the end of our trip, which we, this is about a four and a half hour drive for us. At the end of our trip, we started talking about one of Tess's favorite podcasts, which is My Favorite Murder. And both of us were so engaged in the conversation. Mm -hmm. It was as if we had just gotten the car from the beginning of the trip. And I think, and so this was, yeah, on our way home at the very end. So this is after, like, spending nine hours in the car together yes. over two days, which is, you know, that's I love you, lot. Allie, but that's a whole lot of time with one person <laughs> um, just for me, my um, introvert self that loves to be by myself. But um, but so it started when you were talking about the Stones tickets you were getting and how much you'd be willing to pay for Stones tickets. Mm-hmm. And I was saying that I got tickets to a live show of this podcast. And for anyone who's not familiar with My Favorite Murder that might be listening, um, I do not fantasize murder. I do not promote <laughs> promote murder at all. Actually, yes, my um, seminary student in me would say, "Oh my goodness, that's a little scary." <laughs> um, but I, I, being a sociologist by trade, we study crime and deviance a lot. And there is something fascinating about number one, the way a society will construct normative behavior, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. What is what is acceptable behavior within a society, and that looks different everywhere, cross-culturally, cross-linguistically. Um, but then there is also the very interesting study of when people break those norms, and that's what we would call crime and deviance from from normative behavior, and oftentimes it's prosecuted, and we have mass incarceration, and that's a whole other topic that you can meet me on a different podcast for. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I think there's something about crime that's really interesting to me. So I want people to know that I'm not like a psychopath or sociopath that loves like to learn about crime, but I do enjoy learning about crime because there is something pretty fascinating about the state of mind people are in in order to commit something like that. And so I loved that conversation home because I felt like it was your input. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. 
that was coming up with all these Nebraska murders that I have never heard of. Well, I don't really even know that well, but I could remember the names, and it was kind of surprising to me and could remember. And then we had a whole conversation about Gary Hart and the new movie that's coming out about him. And, I mean, we just went into a completely unrelated to the past day's conversation that actually tied back into the beginning of our trip. And that is literally, as they say, full circle. And I think part of the reason that we're able to do that has a whole lot to do with engagement. So when we're talking about engagement, um, this was a powerful moment for Tess and I. The second we got there, the way that we were greeted by Lisa, the way that the day and the day and a half evening was set up, um, was completely honoring Lisa's strengths, but she was also considering ours. Very much and so. I got to um, chat with Connie right away and hear a little bit about the connections that Connie and I had. Connie has high connectedness just like I do. And I am sure, Tess, you are exhausted <laughs> by being with me, um, whether it's nine hours in the car or just in my presence, because I'm always trying to find the connections. Oh, my goodness. And I think I've had to like rest my eyes from all my eye rolling. Because, oh my goodness, every single person she met in Ainsworth, Nebraska, she had a connection with from somewhere. This time it was Broken Bow, Exeter, Doan, Hebron. And what's amazing to me is that all of those connections come from small town connections. Yeah. And we had a great conversation about small town life. We had such a wonderful experience at the Sand Hills Lounge with Jim. For every job, there's someone who loves to do it, and Jim loves his job, and he was hilarious and fun. And we just felt great about being in his energy. Yes. He was witty, um, kept us on our toes. Mm -hmm. And I think later on when we were talking with students about strengths, we were kind of trying to help them think about for every job there's someone that loves to do it. Mm -hmm. And so being in the energy from the get-go of Lisa and Lisa and Connie who set the stage, their level of engagement with one another yes. and with us mm-hmm. was fantastic. And then mm-hmm. we were able to do some immediate strength spotting with Curtis. Mm-hmm. Uh, Curtis came in, and one of the things I really appreciated is that Curtis leads with competition. He owns it. And it was a great opportunity for me to see competition on someone else who is in a career that they love. And because I don't understand a lot about competition and because my son has it as his number one, it's sometimes hard for me to understand. And it's hard for me to see what that will look like in the future. Sure. And so to be able to see Curtis, who loves his job and is clearly good at it and is um, respected for his job, leading with that competition strength, it really helped me to see what future Sean might look like. Yeah. And I think it's um, it's interesting because in he so his job he is the elementary school principal, and I found it very fascinating because he has high competition. I think it was his number two, and their high school principal also has competition in his top five. And I found that really fascinating because competition isn't a rare strength by any means. That's not in the least common to appear in Gallup's database, but it's one we don't encounter often. I think because of the circles that we run in Um, with mentoring with our personal lives we don't just run into a lot of people with high competition I've met quite a few people that have high competition and oftentimes they are in the private in in the business sector in the corporate sector oftentimes they are executives um, they are um, high-ranking people within their businesses and I think people with competition might be drawn to that kind of environment because there are very clear measurable outcomes 
people with competition love to be able to measure up, see where their progress is against somebody else's. And I, so I think people most, one person that I met with high competition was um, a vice president of um, Carhill mm-hmm. um, and worked a lot with construction. Another one was um, a, one of the regional managers of a bank um, mm-hmm. in um, the southeast part of the United States. And just very interesting to see how their competitions very, very clearly were integrated with their roles. They were very focused on numbers, very focused on measuring last year's versus this year's, measuring their region versus another region's. And I think sometimes, and I think we've talked about this, we can think strengths look a certain way. Right. And it was a really good, so much of these last, you know, this last day and a half was a really good experience of, I feel like encountering practicing what we preach yes right that looking, I feel like is like a mantra of the last couple days looking at the slides and actually having real life examples, examples where someone it. is teaching us mm-hmm. what those slides mean yep so like the very first slide after we go through the opening activity is about how Don Clifton through his research found that there is not one specific strength set but those people that are deemed most successful have the ability to recognize their strength and maximize on it to reach their full potential and I think it was such a Curtis was such a good example of that and you know even though he's just getting into administration he's a very good example of someone that has a strength set that if you just looked at that strength set someone might guess that he's in a corporate sector right but he's not right because we are more than just our strengths right we Mm -hmm. are our life experiences our passions our values and those can collide really well with our strengths and so I think it was a really good example of knowing that you don't need a certain strength set to do a certain job that really to be successful at your job, you just need to know your strengths and right. maximize on them and then get the right people on the bus with you yes. that have different strengths. And I think what we witnessed is so many people in the right seats of the bus and on that bus. Um, we were just perplexed at the level of engagement. It was so much fun. We had a great conversation with Wade, who did such a remarkable job pointing out so much observation, which also I think is a great indicator of engagement yes. when mm-hmm. people are super observant. And Wade noticed that I mentioned Wizard of Oz in a couple different nuanced ways, which I yes. didn't even realize. <laughs> and Lisa pointed out the double lettering of our names, which mm-hmm. we had never, ever heard. Um, I also had never, I want to note this, I heard from Jim at the Sand Hills Lounge that there was no way that I had a 22 and 18-year-old and that I was aging well. And because I never hear that, that was really lovely to hear. That kind of um, recognition, which I know he probably was completely joking, but wine and cheese and me um, aging well is nice to think about. But also um, just the level of things that people noticed. And they noticed out loud. So it's one thing to notice, and then it's another thing to give recognition on what you notice. And I think that group was so full of recognition and awareness and engagement. So as we typically do, we like to get together after our training and talk about what did we notice and what we noticed. I mean, we just walked away saying, wow, what a group of engaged Mm -hmm. people. And what do you think the recipe is? What's the indicator? I wonder what what is the what what creates that here? And then the next day, literally the next day, I'm doing strengths training, looking at the Gallup success model, mm-hmm. thinking, oh wait, I know what this is. <laughs> They're focused on what's right here. Yep. They're focused on what's right with one another. You have a coordinator who is 100% believing in the impact of focusing on what is right. And she leads that by example. You have a board member and parents like Brad and Wendy 
who talked about the knowing their kids' strengths. I mean, I just thought, wow, they should be my parent mentors. For me as a mom, I was thinking I would love to be immersed in their family dinnertime conversation Mm -hmm. because they are talking about strengths in such a meaningful way that their kids know. They know who they are. They know their authentic self, and they Mm -hmm. feel completely comfortable in it and know that it's welcomed and encouraged. And so um, we were just in awe, really, of the level of engagement, the student level of engagement. We had great conversations with students. Mm -hmm. And then one of the things that Tess and I experienced, anytime we go to a community, we try to um, make sure that we visit the local shops and local stores. And so Mm -hmm. the motel that we stayed in, we were really um, impressed with this. They had a laminated piece of paper that listed the recommendations Mm -hmm. from staff for where to go, um, dining options, coffee shops, shops to visit. And I think it honored both of our individualization to be able to see that, Vanessa? Oh, no. um, Veronica? No. Adriana. Adriana, I wasn't even close. No, my my that, my housekeeper. Um, her her name was listed on a little sheet that said, you know, my name is Adriana. I'll be cleaning up after you, which is you know weird to even think about, and um, and it was listed in my room, and she was one of the people that recommended a place to eat on the sheet, mm-hmm. and it said her name and comma housekeeper comma she recommends the whatever sandwich and why yeah and why Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like the Barnes and Noble staff picks and Tess Mm -hmm. and I were so impressed with that I think that'd be something that we can incorporate into partnership but anytime we're in a community we love to take a look at what makes the community who they are and we listen for recommendations Mm -hmm. so we checked out there are three floral shops Mm -hmm. in Ainsworth which is pretty amazing by the way Um, I hope all of you get lots of flowers yeah. Ainsworth because I, I think that's just Maybe awesome. Maybe that's what the recipe is for engagement. Lots of flowers. <laughs> Lots of flowers. Um, but what we loved about it is we experienced such a level of engagement at each place and um, came home with some some great treasures. Um, Tess had her first experience, or one of her first experiences, mm-hmm. in a Western store. And I think one of the things that was eye-opening for me, I grew up in um, near a community where the Western shop was part of us, so if you wanted to get your tuxedo for prom, you went through the Western really? store. That's where you ordered oh the tuxedo. Um, they also mm-hmm. had a great selection of jeans and you know jackets and cowboy hats. So for you to experience that, when we walked in, I could tell right away <laughs> you were kind of in awe. I was way out of my element. Oh, so out of my element. So my hometown, um, I'm from Minnesota originally, if you're first tuning in, not a Nebraska native. And... I am from a suburb that's not a suburb of anything, and that's the best way I can describe it. It is about 25,000 people, so it's a pretty big, and it's called the city of Oatana, and it is far enough removed from the Twin Cities area that it's not a suburb of that, but there's nothing really close. It's almost like its own hub because there are lots of really small communities around it. And unfortunately, a little bit of learned behavior that I have is that um, there we did not have a Western store. Mm-hmm. I keep wanting to say country Western store, a Western store. And um, for those people that were farmers, they really stuck to themselves or kids of farmers. It was kind of this own little click, this own pocket that was separate from everyone else. We have a very large insurance business, a pretty large couple manufacturing plants. And so most people were not 
farmers. There were very few. And so it was just a little bit of like, I feel, I felt a little bit out of my element. And I think I really recognized a lot of maybe bias or assumptions that I have about that kind of lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is hard for me who constantly wants to try and break down bias, that I have that bias within me. And so I'm like, of course, I'm not going to find anything within a country store. Well, we went through and we found incredible women's incredible women's clothing area with lots of labels that we find that I find in some of my favorite boutiques Mm -hmm. and it was very humbling I had to be like gosh Tess what are you you're just as bad as everyone else who has racial bias or you know language bias um just having bias about what I would assume you know I had to walk through all the leather cowboy boots you know to get there Mm -hmm. um and had to walk past and say hi to the guy who's putting a log in literal vlog wood burning fire yes. within the store. I was just amazed. But um but we found it I am wearing something that's a little bit out of my comfort zone right now, but something that I found at the store got purchased um two items there. And so I was just kind of surprised and it was a really humbling experience um about my assumptions and that I have and really and I'll flat out say it, that's called prejudice. Right. Um that's what it is, is when you make assumptions based on what you think a certain certain people are like and it's hard for me as someone with individualization that loves to honor the uniqueness in people but I think we have such we have such bias and prejudice that we just have ingrained in us and it was a good reflection for me and you guys are like oh my gosh she's so psychoanalyzing walking into a country western store but (laughs) you know like um about recognizing where feelings come from where my thought patterns come from and trying to break down barriers that I have and we were greeted so warmly. Mm-hmm. We were treated, I mean, oh, you just yeah. don't get awesome. many shopping experiences like mm-hmm. that, to be quite honest, mm-hmm. in every one of the stores that we were in. Um, lots of interaction, lots of opportunity. And by the way, it's a taupe duster that's kind of velour uh, velvety that Tess is rocking as her purchase from the store. If I could go back again, I probably would have picked up a bracelet that I walked away from that I'm... I I do. I always regret what I walk away from. Um, But it was such a magical experience. And then we had one of the most um, inspirational experiences I've had in a long time when we walked into Silver Linings, which is a newer um, floral shop in Amesworth, and learned about the owner who's an entrepreneur and all the things that he's doing. But we had a great conversation with Julie. And Julie just so happened to be working, and she just so happened to ask what we did, and we were talking about teammates and started talking about Lisa. And Lisa is an awesome coordinator, awesome guidance Mm -hmm. counselor, and she kind of uh, concurred with us how amazing Lisa is, and she said, I was actually just emailing her about a scholarship. And so as, as we got to talking with Julie, Julie is and her sister are establishing a scholarship, and a little bit of of Julie's story and I want to make sure I I tell it as accurately as I can because I really want to honor the inspiration that it gave me Julie has a son who has muscular dystrophy and Julie I think he's seven I think that's what she said six or seven and he right now she's working to establish a scholarship for students who want to go on to a healing caring profession so for speech path or um, PT or OT and she's so intentional about Mm -hmm. already wanting to give back to those who are part of her son's experience Mm -hmm. 
And so she shared with us what it was like to, um, she recently was a camp counselor at a camp her son is going to go to this summer and what a powerful experience that that was. And I I purchased a a Christmas ornament and now will forever remember Julie each and every time I hang that on my tree and the way that I walked away thinking, this is intention. Yeah. This is making the world a better place where she could have a lot of different outlooks on the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And what an example that is to her son. And what an example that is to me as a parent and as a human that she, from the second we got there, she created this invitation to her story. Mm -hmm. That we just walked in and readily, I mean, my heart was so opened by that experience. And I thought about it quite a bit, actually, um, since. And so, Julie, if you happen to be listening, I just want to thank you for humbling me Mm -hmm. with your intentionality and the way that you are truly trying to give back, um, knowing the full spectrum Mm -hmm. of challenges that lie ahead, that you're already willing to give back. That's so much future Mm -hmm. casting and that's so much hope and that's so much nexting and it's so much of the practice of what we preach. But to be in it was pretty remarkable for me. So we left that situation so engaged and then we got to you know drive home and experience a lot of this and kind of rehash it and talk about how important it is that we get in front of this microphone today yeah. and share this energy and why it matters and why it's important to us, but why 9,000 plus mentors are doing this on a regular basis. Yeah. When you extend that invitation to story, it's really powerful. Mm-hmm. So Tess and I had visited a little bit about our Thanksgiving and... I was very fortunate over Thanksgiving to experience the impact of invitation and the impact of feeling a sense of belonging. Um, I, and it's really hard to tell without a diagram or a flow chart, but <laughs> I spent Thanksgiving with my ex-husband's wife's extended family who creates such a sense of belonging and such a sense of invitation to me of all people Mm -hmm. who probably should be the least invited. Mm -hmm. And their willingness um, to not just embrace my kids, but to embrace me Mm -hmm. and to create this extended invitation, it really feels like belonging when you know you probably shouldn't. And yet here are these people who are so interested in knowing who you are. Um, it was really powerful. And after we spent Thanksgiving with them, we then got to spend a little bit of Thanksgiving evening with my ex-husband's wife's ex-husband and his wife and their family. <laughs> and oh it was so powerful. Yeah. Um, and I just want to give credit to Anne and, and Tim who opened their home, but also Anne took this awesome um, selfie, Lauren helped too, of all of us in this room together. It was just this moment of kind of disbelief and I wrote about it later on my my personal blog um, about what an example this is when we see oftentimes the end of a relationship can be negative and divorce is typically a negative ending to a relationship and how each and every person in that room was willing to look past an ending and see a possibility for the future that looks completely different. Mm. And because of that extension of invitation, we now have kids who witness the impact of open-mindedness, open-heartedness, 
and extending invitation to others. Um, so if you haven't yet had the chance to listen in to our last Mentor Academy, um, our friend Jarrell Roach did a remarkable job talking about extending invitation and what that looks like mm-hmm. and, and how important that is and how often we do that and how often we don't. Yes. So mm-hmm. I think for us as mentors, we do this on a regular basis. And I know, Tess, you are reading mm-hmm. um, a wonderful <laughs> book. Yeah, so I um, so I love that you brought up this, and I was kind of surprised in our first rendition of recording this when you brought up this idea of hospitality, living an invitational lifestyle, because I just started a book, and I have not finished it, so I can't fully give my stamp of approval to it, but uh, called uh, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, and it's by um, Rosario Butterfield, and she is um, kind of a preacher and a um, a speaker and essentially talking about how the gospel compels us to radical a radically invitational lifestyle, a radically open lifestyle that is hospitable to everyone and how countercultural it is to welcome strangers into our home. And I think it's something that I've been thinking a lot of because it's been one of my um, church's focus this next year, 2019. Our vision is living invitations that we are all walking around as a living invitation. And um, and it's something I heard a, a stat from um, one of my pastors that he went to a conference and he heard a pastor speak about how their church has more than 100% of their weekly attendance in small groups. And I loved that statistic because it said they have more people gathering at home to do life together than they do coming to a service on the weekend, which services on the weekend are important. It's important to come together as a corporate church. And again, this is my own perspective, and you can disagree with me. I would love to have a nice conversation about this. Um, Love to have discussions about this. But really, when you think about what Jesus did, he gathered people around a table. And that's where conversation happens. That's where life happens. It doesn't happen in the hour that you sit in a pew at church on the weekend. And I have an incredible church that I look forward to that hour that I sit in that pew every single week. And there's nothing wrong with going to church like that. But really how the her whole argument in the book so far is that the becoming a Christian, stepping into faith, is all about accepting a key to the house. And now you have the ability to welcome other people into it and living a radical, hospi- radically hospitable life. And I think that that's such a great, it's something that the church has, you know, walked away from has forgotten about its heritage and yeah so anyway sorry I feel so passionately about it (laughs) well and what I love Tess is your faith journey is such an example to me about that because of the way that you extend grace to others Mm -hmm. because of the way that you allow people to be who they are that's the ultimate Mm -hmm. extension of of belonging Mm-hmm. And invitation to belonging is yeah. when you allow people to be who they are. Um, we've talked a lot about strengths, hope, engagement, well-being, success. Mm-hmm. But I wonder where a circle of belonging would be mm-hmm. in all of those. And I think back to all the things that I learned from, from Shane and from the great teachers that I've had around strengths and how they created a sense of belonging for me yeah. to feel like I can teach this too. I have the capacity um, and I think mentors do that all the time. Yes. We mm-hmm. have the opportunity to create a sense of invitation and belonging, even just in our mentoring time. Mm-hmm. You show up here as you are. I accept you as you are. And we get through this today mm-hmm. together. But we also extend that invitation and that sense of belonging with 9,000 people participating in teammates. Yeah. And, I mean, what a great 
example of that and um, that opportunity that we have to see people and also to welcome people. So when I was kind of pondering over my Thanksgiving experience, I am incredibly grateful because none of those people have to. Abby, Abby's parents, Abby's um, aunt and uncle and the cousins, and I mean, no one has to, and yet they want to. And so it kind of takes me back to what we talk about with mentoring. No, none of our mentors show up because they have to, but because mm-hmm. they want to. And students know that. Yeah. And so when you see people, and we saw that in Ainsworth, yes. nobody was yes. showing up because they had to. It was all mm-hmm. this sense of willingness mm-hmm. and the want to. When you see that in the world, you want to be part of it. Yes. It's engagement. Yes. So sure. if I walked into Jimmy John's and everybody was engaged and feeling like they were part of a team, I'd probably want to go back to that Jimmy John's. Mm-hmm. If I walk into a Jimmy John's and everybody's miserable at work, I probably don't want to frequent. I'm not mm-hmm. calling out Jimmy John's by any means, <laughs> but I'm, I'm just giving that as an example. This I was is not an advertisement, right? I was <laughs> feeling that at the gym this morning. I'm yeah. I'm on the spin machine and I typically t- keep to myself and I'm doing my thing and I just happened upon um, someone who was talking to me about some transition time at work and we suddenly got into conversation about strengths and all of a sudden I'm talking about you know what do you love to do and I'm doing the purpose circles and on the spin bike because I am truly I am living in what I truly believe about the way that we create invitation Mm -hmm. and we have opportunities every single day Mm -hmm. so what I would love to ask our group our audience is for one where are you extending invitation and then where can you consider maybe you're not so in a previous Strengths Day, Tess had shared about someone of influence. So I mentioned that I've been doing five days of gratitude through the Network for Grateful Living. And in those five days, you had to send an e-card, which seems a little bit 90s, but okay. You send an e-card <laughs> um, to these certain people, to a mentor in your life, um, to a family member who maybe you've been disconnected from. I mean, really hard stuff. And then one was to send an, a card, an e-card, or a note of gratitude for someone who's been an influence who doesn't even know it. So Tess had shared in a previous Strengths Day that she had been influenced by an author, correct? Podcaster. A podcaster. (laughs) And you had not, when I said, well, you should reach out to that person, you kind of blew that off. And now I'm really, Mm -hmm. really going to ask you, Mm -hmm. to beg of you, to consider extending that invitation to the awareness of their impact on your life. Hmm. Because you know, you know the impact of that. Yeah. How awesome would it be if those who are listening let us know? Mm-hmm. We would feel we're extending an invitation every time we sit down to do this, and we put this yeah. out there in the ether. It's yeah. phenomenal and sometimes risky and terribly vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And to know that someone is hearing what we're saying and takes just one tiny little piece from it, um, we want to thank Ainsworth. for creating such energy within Mm -hmm. us that we wanted to sit down today and talk about it. Mm -hmm. And we want you to think about who could you extend some gratitude to? Who could you extend some invitation to? Mm -hmm. And then where where might you feel engaged? Mm -hmm. And where might you feel not so engaged right now? And maybe kind of ponder why. Why? Mm -hmm. And what's that about? I love that. I think one of the things about where might you not be extending invitation to? I think I've taken a hard, long look at who is in my life 
and what are their experiences like. And sometimes we have, and it's a phenomenon, sociological phenomenon, the comfort of sameness, that we have, we feel best extending invitations to those who are most similar to us. And so I think when you think about where might you not be extending an invitation, it's probably to someone who's different than you. Mm-hmm. And so I want to encourage you, and I think that's, and I would argue, we've gotten pretty sociological, pretty um, uh, um psychological, pretty theological on you today. I'm going to get a little political on you today and say, um, I think that's why we are a little bit polarized Absolutely. In, um, in our society, because if it's, if they're not like me, I don't want to even engage in a conversation. And that's when prejudice happens, right? When I acknowledged that I have maybe prejudice against people who are maybe from a farming or rural background, it's because I have absolutely no experience with them. And I have never invited anyone into a conversation about it. I never have. You'll notice that I gladly share my small town experiences with yeah. you. Yeah, yep, and often. I love it. Yes, and it's so great. And talk about what it was like to grow up in a community of 600 people on the yes. farm. What it was like then to raise kids in a community of less than 1,500 people yeah. in the public eye, mm-hmm. and then to move to Omaha. Yes. I mean, lots mm-hmm. of changes, lots of differences. And so we do talk about that to mm-hmm. some degree, but I think you're right, Tess. We, we tend to be um, really open to invitation or open to inviting others who we like what they're saying mm-hmm. or we like what they're doing. Yes. And I think it's a powerful time right now mm-hmm. to extend invitation to people who think differently than you. Yep. And how mm-hmm. can you learn from them? Um, my Thanksgiving example yes. is all of those oh. people extending invitation to someone who probably was least deserving. Yes. And for mm-hmm. no reason at all. And you accepting that invitation as well. Oh, that's of course that's an invitation of you to then step into that because that could be a very uncomfortable to me I'm like kind of cringing thinking about that situation <laughs> but that you were in but uh, I think that there's grace in what you didn't to step into that invitation and say this might not be the most comfortable thing but I'm going to choose to do it anyway mm-hmm. um, and so yeah I just want to encourage you that that looking at where there might be a lack of invitation I would say get a good read on where your invitations have been going and that might help you understand where your invitations are not going um that's good that's great thought Mm -hmm. we had talked about a Brene quote earlier do you want to do you want to end with that yes so I love this and I think this is such a good we've talked a lot about this within the Ainsworth community and we think people were doing this even though they didn't realize it yes and it's been a quote that I think you had shared this story with me, and I listened to her share this story as well, Brene Brown, uh, and it has just stuck with me. There's been something about it. And she said, after this long story about this horrible roommate she had at a hotel at a speaking convention that she made judgments about, she said, what if I just assumed that she was doing the best that she could? And what if we walked around assuming that everyone was just doing the best that they could? And I love that because my favorite stat from Gallup around um, around strengths is that people who have someone focused on their strengths are six times more likely to be to rate a higher quality of life. And that's a very significant statistic because nothing in their life has changed. It's all about perspective. And so when we say we're sharing the strengths-based perspective through which we see the world on this podcast, that's what we're doing. And that's what that quote is from Brene, is assuming that people are doing the best that they can. Um, filling the gap between you and another person with trust rather than with suspicion. And so, yeah, I guess I would just thank Ainsworth for letting us and welcoming us into that, helping us feel a sense of belonging in the midst of um, of an incredible community that I think is naturally assuming and naturally looking for what is good and right with people already. Agreed. 
Great. Awesome. Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in to episode 30 of Jen and Millie. Um, we're new to the podcasting world, so share share us with people and let us know if you're listening. We would love to hear your thoughts on this episode or any other episode that we've published. Um, the 31, 30 of them. Not 30. all of them are on here, but all of them are on YouTube. So um, find us there. Find us on your platforming, podcasting platform of choice. Um, to interact with us and share your responses to the questions we posed in this episode, follow us on Instagram. That would be the best way to connect with us. At Jen and Millie. That's at G-E-N-N-A-N-D-M-I-L-L-I-E. Until next time.